We will build a big, beautiful wall, and Texas will pay for it. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, editor at QuorumReport.com, and here to help me guide you through the news of the week, as always, is ace political reporter at the Houston Chronicle, Jeremy Wallace. Hello, sir. Hello. Alive and kicking, ready to go. Yeah, man. Uh, we had a week uh, to uh, think about things and watch things unfold, and um, wow. A lot happened. Where to start? Yes. This is one of those shows where I, anything we're about to talk about, I could start with, right? Yeah. I mean, all of it's big news. You got the Democrats going to Washington to fight for voting rights. You've got a border wall that is now proposed by Governor Abbott, drawing some immediate uh, criticism as if he's a mini Trump, is what some people said, uh, and criticism from his right as well uh, from Alan West, the Republican Party chairman, who said, "Who would have thought?" A governor of Texas would be looking to uh, get help from Florida, where the governor there, Ron DeSantis, is going to be sending some resources for border security, although interesting for a former congressman from Florida to make that, uh, you know, to to have that specific criticism for the governor. Um, And then it is Juneteenth weekend and the significance of that uh, here in Texas and now nationally. Uh, It's a national holiday now, a federal holiday. We'll get into all of it. But first... I want to break down this news conference that the governor held with other Republican leaders where he talked about one thing, uh, mostly. He was asked about some other things, but the one thing he came to talk about was this. We are announcing that Texas will build a border wall in our state to help secure our border. In 2017, right after former President Trump had first entered the White House, the Department of Homeland Security did an estimate for how much it would cost, Jeremy, to build a border wall from basically from Brownsville all the way to San Diego. Do you remember about how much that was supposed to cost? It was well north of $20 billion. Right. The number I had was uh, around, and it depended on which estimate you looked at because there were several different proposals, but yeah, something like $21 billion to $26 billion, something like that. Well, I'm not sure Texas has that kind of cash on hand. To, to spend on a border wall. Now, we have a quarter trillion dollar budget uh, in this state for two years, but that's all tied up in other stuff already, yeah. right? Abbott said the border was more secure under President Trump, who never built that border wall for $21 billion, right? Follow me on this. President Trump, who's coming to Texas at the invitation of Abbott later this month, and Governor Abbott are both arguing that the border was basically secure when Trump was there six, seven months ago. And now under Biden, it's just a disaster. Okay. A few months later, it's a complete disaster. So this is the argument. Follow me. Something that Trump never finished, something he never actually did needs to be done now so that we can get to back, you know, get back to how secure it was when Trump was there. All right. Is this making sense? All right. Here's what, here's what, here's what Abbott said about that. And make no mistake. The border crisis that we're dealing with right now is a direct result of the open border policies that have been put into place by the Biden administration. Remember that the border was far more under control under the Trump administration until President Biden came in and removed the remain in Mexico policy. And he's about to remove, according to his administration, the Title 42 policy. And Obviously, they are now 
not making any effort whatsoever in, to construct the wall. In fact, they are abandoning finishing the wall along the border. Not much of that wall got done, Jeremy, while Trump was there, as I mentioned. Abbott says that GOP leadership in Austin has already committed state resources once again for border security. They just passed a budget adding more than a billion dollars dedicated to border security in the state of Texas for Texas to do the federal government's job. These are Texas taxpayer dollars that Texans should not have to be paying for because the federal government has a legal responsibility under the federal immigration laws to do it. But because they are not doing it, Texas taxpayers are having to step up so that we as a state can protect our citizens. We mentioned it's about a $21 billion project to, to build the entire wall. Uh, I'm not sure the total number just for Texas. Abbott's talking about uh, a down payment of how much? 250, not billion, $250 million. Now that sounds like a lot of money to me. You know, I'm just a working guy, you know, work, work a day reporters here doing the show. <laughs> uh, $250 million would be a huge windfall for any of us, but that is about 1% of what the overall border wall that hasn't really been built at all, that's how much that would cost. Now we have gone from President Trump saying that that $20 billion plus dollar project would be paid for by who, Jeremy? Mexico. Mexico. That was all. You attended some of the uh, events. Mexico was always going to pay for that wall. We went from that to somewhere during the Trump administration, we uh, landed on this, that we would build the wall and we would try to get reimbursed by Mexico for some of the costs. I think that was where we ended up. In Texas, I've seen this play out over the years when there was a Democratic administration previously under President Obama, there would be border security expenses made by the state and we would seek reimbursement from Washington. Yep. Now we're not even doing that anymore. Now it's $250 million as a down payment that Texas taxpayers, as Abbott just said, will pay to get this thing going. And here's the, we're not gonna seek reimbursement from Washington or from Mexico. We're giving up on all of that. Now, private donations are going to help uh, make this thing happen. And Governor Abbott set up a website borderwall.texas.gov where people can go and give as little as one dollar yeah what does this sound like to you people all over the country are being encouraged to go to a website and contribute one dollar five dollars ten dollars twenty dollars to an effort to try to do something do you think it's possible i'm just throwing this out there as a question i'm not asserting anything do you think it's possible that if you were to compile a list of people willing to donate $1, $2, $3, $5, $20 toward a project like this, headed up by a certain person who at some point might run for president, that that list of people who would do that would be very valuable to a candidate who would want to seek higher office yeah, and doesn't it sound familiar? A lot of people listening to this are going to remember, you know, this is what Steve Bannon was kind of doing with that political action committee they had created at one point where they mm -hmm. were, like, asking people to send donations to help build the wall, and they collected all this money. It didn't go to the wall, of course. It went to Steve Bannon and to right. his, you know, colleagues. But, you know, nonetheless, it's that same kind of concept of, like, building that list of donors, you know, of, of people who are interested in this issue. It's, it's not 
you know, it, it's, it's pretty cynical politics in that mm-hmm. regard in terms of trying to build your donor list. But also, like, you know, it, I just can't help but f- remember Trump's last visit to Texas. And you remember, this was, you know, right after the insurrection. He went mm-hmm. down to the Texas border. He was in San Juan, Texas. He said he was in Alamo, Texas, because he wanted to be Alamo. But it was San Juan, mm-hmm. Texas, because that stretch had, like, you know, some of the wall, like, built, some of the fencing. Because if you had gone to Alamo, there was pieces missing. You know, like they, they clearly made a decision to, you know, every other section would be built. And so they'd be gaping holes there for Biden to have to decide, do you fill those gaping holes in or do you let them sit there as mm-hmm. a legacy to the Trump, you know, gaps? So going back to what you said, you know, th- that wall was never finished that, you know, right. there's nothing, you know, there's huge holes there. Anybody can it's come in started. and out of there. Yeah, it's barely started, and most of the places where there is physical barrier along the international boundary were already there. Yeah, exactly. Some of the urban areas, for example, in uh, Laredo and El Paso. Yeah, El Paso is like there's like 40 miles there that you know you have to go back to the W and Obama and Clinton and years. They all like you know added to that you know mm-hmm. over the decades. So you know that's already been there. So the, the question was always you know for, for Texas you know when we're talking about the wall for people to understand it's like we're talking about you know really that lower Rio Grande Valley up to maybe you know Falcon Lake area you know that's pretty much where you can build a wall. Everything else is kind of impossible to really build anything. $250 million. Where is this coming from? Well it turns out it's the TDCJ the uh, criminal justice system in Texas. How does that work? The budget, as Abbott already he mentioned there, it, the budget was written already by the state legislature, who has the power to do that. Um, this money is moving from TDCJ, that's the prison system, uh, and it's going to be put into a disaster fund and then moved to the facilities commission because a facility, that's what the wall will be, ostensibly. Um, here's the appropriations chairman in the Texas House, Greg Bonin, who was also at that press conference. As is outlined in the, the letter that, that we have uh, just signed, you'll see that the initial down payment of $250 million is going to be transferred into a disaster account, and then it will be then moved to the uh, Facilities Commission for this purpose, for, the, for this project. Sounds a little arcane, right? Remember how the Republican base was so angry with Governor Abbott for a full year during the pandemic, the height of the pandemic in 2020, because he was making all these decisions unilaterally using disaster powers? Well, make no mistake, that's exactly how they're doing this. A disaster along the border is what Abbott is hanging his hat on to be able to take money that was already uh, designated by lawmakers for a different purpose and move it over to a border wall to pay for exactly 1% or so of the $20 billion worth of project and then ask people to send $1 at a time to make up the rest, that, or however much they want to give, $1, $10, $5, whatever, starting to sound like a border wall infomercial. Uh, Senator Jane Nelson is the chair of the Finance Committee in the Senate, and she wasn't satisfied with Bonin's answer there. She wanted to fill in the rest of the blanks. When the governor issues a disaster declaration, the Legislative Budget Board has the authority under Article 9, Section uh, 14.04, my staff's around somewhere, they're shaking their head yes, uh, to allow for the LBB can make a transfer under that section, and we will do that um, under request. 
Jeremy, I'm old enough to remember uh, Senator Nelson, Chair Nelson, dressing down the Attorney General, um, Ken Paxton, for yeah. taking... Do you remember this? We oh, covered yeah. it here on the show. She was very upset with him for moving money from one part of his budget in his office to a different part of his budget. Uh, he was moving it from capital um, expenses over yeah. uh, to personnel so that he could uh, give raises to people. She was not happy with that. Uh, she had At that time, she had that... Uh, Upset, and she's a former uh, school teacher. She had that very upset teacher's voice. Like, yep. You know, she's taken him to the woodshed over that. It's hard for me to see in practice how this is much different at all. Uh, the budget's been written already, and now out of the blue, leadership is deciding to spend that money on something else. Abbott was asked bluntly whether this is just political theater because there's no chance. Now, let's get real here. No chance. There's actually going to be a wall built between Texas and Mexico. Anyone who thinks this is politics doesn't have a clue what's going on on the border. Right? Anyone who thinks this is politics doesn't care about American citizens or Texas residents. Anyone who thinks this is politics doesn't care about the lives of people who had a gun stuck to their head by someone who came across the border. Doesn't care about their kids who have been harmed. Doesn't care about the homes that have been invaded doesn't care about the danger these people live with every single day. It's our job to keep these people safe, not allow them to continue to be subject, subjected to harm. We care about our fellow Texans and their safety, and this is providing safety for our fellow Texans. I realize candidly there are some who do not care about safety, and those are the very same people who want to defund police. And we together also pass a law to make sure that cities in Texas would not be able to defund police. We believe in the rule of law and law and order in this state. And by God, we're going to step up and deliver that rule of law and law and order in the state of Texas. For anyone who thinks this is about politics, let me give you an answer that is filled with political rhetoric, political slogans, and things <laughs> that are designed to make you angry and fearful so that you will support what I'm doing. What do you think, Jeremy? Yeah, I'm going to channel, you know, Alan West here. I can't believe this. But, you know, remember, Alan, you know, Alan West has already been saying, OK, if this is such a priority, you're doing this now. Why couldn't you have done this a month ago when the legislature was meeting and you could have had them do it through the regular budgetary process? Why wasn't, you know, this whole budget fight? happening then but you know the, the other question here like you know so, so why is all this happening why are you know why are we in, in san antonio signing constitutional carry you know bills why are we you know talking about the border wall and it's kind of what you've hit on you know time and time again this is a primary state right you know and then guess what's happening in 211 days from the recording of this show the first ballots are going out you know right now you know if we if the primary remains on track for march 1st yeah, if that were to happen, like we have just over 200 days of campaigning to go until those first ballots are out. So what would you do if you were a Republican? You want to talk about the wall. You want to talk about critical race theory. You want to talk about the Alamo. You want to make sure you're shoring up the red meat of red meats because guess what? The governor has two primary opponents. He knows that. He's got to do something now to make sure they don't get any oxygen, any place to kind of campaign against them. So if he's pounding this drum, all of a sudden, you know, it's funny, you know, I've been off the, for a week. I went down to Corpus Christi, down to the beaches, down in South Padre and such. And so, you know, on the way down there, 
went past, you know, three Don Huffines billboards. <laughs> so, you know, it's like there is a candidate out there who wants to, to, to challenge uh, Abbott, and this gives him kind of a running head start into that to talk about, you know, being the border governor that he's always wanted to be. Oh, sure. And you mentioned things that they would want to talk about for a Republican primary. What about something they wouldn't want to talk about, which is the state of the electricity grid? Yeah. As you've been on vacation, even while you're in Corpus, they were asking for people to conserve energy. Yeah. When we haven't even really hit triple-digit temperatures here in June uh, of 2021, Abbott was asked about that. He had a succinct answer. Everyone who's been trying to make a big deal out of the power grid over the past two days, I found where the exact same people who called me a Neanderthal after I opened up Texas 100%, they were hoping there would be a power failure. The people who were calling him Neanderthal or used the term Neanderthal thinking, that was the president of the United States. And I don't remember President Biden hoping that the power would go out in Texas. Uh, now, Abbott added that one thing that's going on here is there is increased communication now from the Electric Reliability Council of Texas to folks. Um, it, one of the complaints had been that there wasn't enough communication, especially during the storm, uh, when you know certain people were told that their power would be off for 30 minutes or 45 minutes. It ended off being uh, it ended up being off for uh, you know four days or five days, and and some uh, folks had the reverse. They thought their power would be out for a week, and it was out for 30 minutes. So there was bad communication. Um, but it is alarming to people, the full context being that they went through an unprecedented storm in February, where the state is iced over from the Red River to the Rio Grande. Right, where pe people on Galveston Island, where there are palm trees, were freezing to death in their cars, right? Yep. And, and so, and so, when we get into summer, which look, we're used to it getting hot, but you want to tell Texans to not run their air conditioner, and it's only June, really? Um, I had people saying, "Hell no!" Uh, did you see some of the? And again, I don't blame you for taking some time off. Did you see the uh, advisories from the state, from ERCOT? Uh, saying that people should sleep with their uh, thermostat above 80 degrees. Yeah, right. People right. are not going to do that. Yep. No. <laughs> not in so Texas. That's not you happening. Really want, you really want to upset people, tell them not to run their air conditioner. Uh, my favorite meme that was being tweeted out and people were putting it on Facebook was a picture of either a thermostat or a window unit air conditioner. And uh, above it is the star and below it it says, come and take it. <laughs> yeah, not go. <laughs> gonna happen so while Abbott is talking about the border the border wall that he wants to build and all of that former congressman Beto O'Rourke who of course ran for US Senate and then for president um, as a Democrat he said he's not impressed with Abbott one bit I'd love the governor to focus on pandemic preparedness we, we saw what it did to Texas more than 50,000 killed over the last year and a half so there are urgent priorities that are worthy of taxpayer funds and true leadership in this state, but building a wall that is a solution in search of a problem is not one of them. You've seen this, Jeremy. Beto has been going around doing various events uh, in different parts of the state. I think uh, last weekend or this week he was in Beaumont and he was in Houston and he was in uh, a bunch of different places. Midland, Texas is, I think, where he was during the interview that you just heard a piece of that. Um, and uh, when he was on WFAA television in Dallas-Fort Worth, they asked him, is this whole tour a part of a new campaign 
for something else? Is he running for governor? Is he running for any other office? What, what, what's the deal with that? I'm going to keep this fight in, in my focus right now. After we're able to, I hope, get this done, then I'll look in, uh, at, at what other ways I might be able to serve the people of Texas, either as a candidate or as someone who supports candidates. Uh, but one way or the other, I'm in for the distance for Texas. When he says get this done, what he means is legislation that has to do with voting rights. That's been the issue that he's been pressing at all these events. Now, I was thinking about this um, as the Democrats were going to Washington, uh, those uh, legislative Democrats. We had some state house members and uh, members of the state Senate uh, standing there with Speaker Nancy Pelosi. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, they were meeting with the Speaker and with Senator Joe Manchin, who's sort of the pivotal Democrats yep. in the U.S. Senate, the guy who's able to just say no to something because it's not bipartisan enough and the thing just won't happen. Um, they were trying to move him on that as well on some of these federal bills, including H.R. Uh, 1, which is the For the People Act, sort of a big liberal laundry list, a wish list, a Christmas tree, if you will, of all the things that a Democrat ever wanted to do about elections. Yeah. And then, there, I mean, I think that's fair. I'll, I'll hear from some Democrats that it's not. But then... The other piece of legislation that Beto and others are talking about is H.R. 4. Dear listener, pay attention to me. I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever. H.R. 4 is the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, and it is the ballgame. Why? Here's why. Because what's in that act would be reinstatement of preclearance yep. by the Department of Justice for states that have a history of discrimination and discriminatory elections laws. We're talking about, and you've talked eloquently about this on the show in the past, Jeremy, about the kinds of things that would happen in Texas and other southern states during elections, in the registration process, on voting, you know, on election day, during the voting process as well, things like making somebody guess how many jelly beans are in a jar so that they can register to vote, asking people how many suds, how many bubbles are in a bar of soap, um, asking them to name all the state capitals ca alphabetically. Oh, what's the catch? Only people of color are asked those questions and white people are not, right? That, that's the kind of thing that would go on in Texas and in other places. And so for many years, because of uh, the original civil rights and voting rights legislation passed in Washington decades ago, uh, states that have uh, those kinds of histories would have to go through a process they call preclearance with the Department of Justice, and that's whether the DOJ is uh, you know, being uh, run under the auspices of a Democratic or Republican administration. And of course, people would say those would be handled differently <laughs> based on you know, what administration is in office. But there is no more preclearance because of a case that went before the Supreme Court a few years back. What is it? Uh, Shelby V. Holder? Yeah, Shelby. And, yeah, Shelby County. And what happened was the uh, section of the Voting Rights Act, Section 5 of the uh, VRA, was struck down by the Supreme Court. So there is no more preclearance. Now, why am I focusing on this? What do Texas Republicans want to do later this year? Two things. They want to pass some version of, quote, election integrity legislation, and they want to go ahead and draw the political maps for the next decade this year. When I have talked to some very smart attorneys on this, they have said, actually, if you look at the language that's in the Texas Constitution, 
they don't really have to do redistricting until 2023 because it would be the next regular session after publication of the census, which this year, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the, you know, the Census Bureau's work was slowed down last year and they weren't able to get that information to the legislature quick enough, that just didn't even become an issue during the regular session of the legislature. And in some ways you you say, okay, well, hallelujah that it didn't because what time would they have had for that with everything else they were yeah. trying to tackle? Although maybe it would have eaten up a lot of the bandwidth and they wouldn't have gotten to some of this other stuff. Uh, but point being this, if Congress can get it together at the urging of Texas Democrats and others who are, who are they're using their victory a, a few weeks ago at the end of the session to kill Senate Bill 7, the big election integrity bill, quote unquote, that was pushed by the Republicans, which ended up as a monster, which is, you know, it's just so many provisions in there that the House and Senate, neither one had ever even seen before the last weekend of the session. But if in Congress they can pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and reinstate preclearance as something that has to happen, they do that before Republicans in Texas do redistricting. That's a completely different ballgame than if they don't reinstate preclearance and the redistricting happens this fall. Yeah, it's, it's an absolute defense against redistricting that could get, you know, look, Texas has been really, Texas Republicans have been really good at gerrymandering the state, mm -hmm. uh, far better than the Democrats even were when they were in control. And so, you know, for Democrats at this point, they don't have the votes in the legislature to stop anything. No. But what they could have is, you know, this you know reintroduction of preclearance to make sure that you can't really butcher the fifth ward up, you know, like they're almost certainly going to have to do. Yeah, and um, put another way, if they don't pass the uh, preclearance provision that's in that bill, they're sort of leaving the Texas Democrats here to defend the Alamo. Yep. <laughs> right? Like, good luck. You know, I mean, you, um, the question of a special session and whether the Democrats would even show up for that because at the end of the regular session, they prove they do have the numbers and the willingness, the numbers and willingness, to deny Republicans enough members uh, in Austin to even do business. So there has been some talk about whether there would be a prolonged quorum break, a la what happened in 2003, right, when the Democrats fled to Oklahoma in the House and in the Senate they went to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Well, Governor Abbott's trying to ensure that they do show up. And one of the ways that he's doing that is threatening this veto of the funding for the legislature itself and saying that if they'll come back to Austin, they'll be able to vote on reinstating that money. Now, Jeremy, you know that legislators make $600 a month. Yeah. That's yeah. not what this is really about. Who cares? That, you know, I, I had one Democrat just say to me, who cares about that? It's really about their staff, it's about the people who work paycheck to paycheck in state government, who live in you know, tiny little apartments near the Capitol. It can barely make ends meet on their salaries. They don't get paid enough as legislative staff. Those are the people that they're worried about. And Republicans have staffers too, yep. right? I mean, the Speaker of the House and the Lieutenant Governor, I don't think they can do a special session if their staff doesn't show up. I, yeah. mean, I guess they could try, but that would not go very well. And also, uh, the, a couple of agencies are involved with that, including uh, Legislative Council, 
uh, legislative budget board. Those these are folks who help you know write the budget, write the laws, and all of that. So all of that has to happen. Uh, Abbott was on Spectrum News Capital Tonight Show. The host Karina Kling asked him about vetoing that funding for the legislative branch and what might happen. Why would you punish staff, legislative council, other entities who had nothing to do with the Democrats walkout or that bill failing? Well, first, obviously, it was wrong for them to walk off the job. But second, I'll give them the opportunity to reinstate it because uh, I can tell you this. I, I, I will add uh, that issue uh, back on the table uh, during the special session so that they will have the opportunity to reinstate all of the funding that's contained in Article 10. This seemed like it was really out of left field for a lot of people, Jeremy, that the governor would say he's going to veto the funding for the legislative branch of government. Our publisher, uh, Mr. Kronberg, Harvey Kronberg at QuorumReport.com, had said, well, you know, if we're, if we're, I'm paraphrasing, but basically if we're dealing with an authoritarian like Abbott, wouldn't it just be as easy for him to also veto funding for the judicial branch? And then he can just make all the decisions himself as a governor. Yeah. He didn't have to deal with legislators, judges, and all of that. Um, I was told that that Abbott has absolutely floated this idea before, uh, as recently as last session in 2019, that he had asked some staffers about whether or not the legislature could just be X'd out in the budget, at, you know, at a conference table with some staff. And everyone just sort of looked at him like, uh, yeah, I don't know about that governor. And they explained to him why that's a bad idea. In other words, he's been looking for some reason to do this. Uh, because as we have covered here, and as a lot of Republicans have complained about him, uh, he tends to uh, believe that the executive should be, if not completely and unilaterally in control, he certainly believes in something very close to that. Um, in Washington, the Democrats were doing their victory lap. Surely you watched some of this. Oh, yeah, out of course. There's no way I couldn't miss that. It was everywhere. It's on social media. It's on cable news. Uh, I saw some people uh, on Twitter making uh, comments about you know the idea that we have had one Democratic lawmaker on CNN, MSNBC. It might have even been on Fox as well. Um, you know, uh, every day part it seemed like this past week as they're meeting with Nancy Pelosi, Joe Manchin, who we mentioned, and other leaders in Capitol Hill. In fact, I was thinking about this. Have we ever on the day that Abbott held that press conference that we heard earlier? where he's talking about the border wall. That same day, there were Texas legislators tweeting out selfies with AOC. Yeah. With, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Have we ever had a more nationalized day in our politics in Texas ever? <laughs> and I'm not sure. I mean, I do. it's just a question to throw out there. Speaker Nancy Pelosi in Washington, speaking alongside Democrats uh, who visited uh, her and others to talk about this assault. They're calling it an all-out assault on voting rights by state legislatures and what the answer should be from the federal government in Washington. I'm honored to be here with these American patriots, with their courage and their action. Uh, they have supported our democracy. I wrote to my colleagues yesterday uh, in the House and to say, that the clock was ticking on our democracy when it came to the sanctity of the vote. She's talking about Senate Bill 7 uh, in particular and about other uh, pieces of legislation around the country uh, in, just in general. Um, and they're happening in states all over the place. One of the things that's interesting in talking about this fight in Texas 
is so much of what's being passed in other places has already been passed here a long time ago. Yeah. Right. I mean, we, we've talked about the fact that it was 10 years ago that voter ID was passed in 2011 here in Texas. And if you listen to this, and this is a little, this goes to right what I was talking about before. The speaker gets into the weeds here about the federal legislation and what different pieces are moving right now on Capitol Hill. It's pretty critical. Um, and, and again, no matter what side you're on on this, it's pretty critical because Democrats have the votes to do the things she's talking about. But will they actually get it done? Take a listen here. This is, this is an all-out assault. An all-out assault. I mean, they, it's, it's, it's just really hard to understand how they could cook up so many various ways to come at a person's right to vote. But they did. And in H.R. 1, we have a correction for most of that, but not all. And then in H.R. 4, we go even further. And when that bill is ready, because it must withstand the constitutional review in an ironclad way because that Supreme Court was not friendly uh, to the Voting Rights Act uh, when it passed the Shelby decision. And so we have to be even stronger in how we do HR4. So that will take a few more weeks before we can get around to that bill. So she says they're working on the language of that. Now, she's making a point that's important. When um, when the Shelby County decision came down, uh, gutting that key piece of the Voting Rights Act, that was a less conservative Supreme Court yes. that did that, right? I mean, now we're talking about a Supreme Court where Donald Trump got to place two justices there and probably would be, mm, you know, more, uh, more likely to strike down some federal legislation that would have to do with preclearance. Look, the argument from a lot of conservatives that I've heard on this is you can't judge all these states anymore by what used to happen decades ago. They'll say that we've made all this progress, and sure, there's still discrimination that happens, but for the most part, we have made serious progress on these kinds of issues, and so to punish states, that's the way they put it, to continue to punish states for the way people used to act in those places is simply not fair. To make Texas and other southern states go running to the federal government for permission, basically, to change their election laws isn't fair. Argument on the other side would be, think about the kinds of things that were just in a law, a proposed law that was on track to pass just in the last couple of weeks that had to do with what kinds of things? Things that we reported here like eliminating polling places in areas heavily populated by minorities. That, that, was, that was proposed by the Texas Senate yep. this year. So when people say, oh, you can't judge you know, the way it used to happen and uh, you know, decades ago, that was the 60s, the 70s, and you know, everything, was about, um, you know, everything was about dominance of the white race at that time and, and all of this, and, and discrimination was much more rampant. But they just proposed that a few months ago yep. here in Texas. So... We'll see where this goes in Congress. Now, given everything we've said, you'll love what Senator Cruz had to say about this. Senator Ted Cruz talking about the idea that the Democrats are trying to grab power with the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Um, he says Republicans, Jeremy, have never tried to do anything like this. And this is not about the right to vote. When you have millions of illegal aliens registered to vote, when you have felons registered to vote, when you're inviting voter fraud through striking down 
photo ID laws through striking down ballot harvesting laws. What you're doing is stealing the right to vote from legal citizens. This is brazen, it's cynical, and it's worth noting that when Republicans had the White House and both houses of Congress, we didn't try this. We didn't try to rig the system so that our side could never lose an election. This is an abuse of power from the Democrats. And I gotta say, at least so far, the media has not covered even a fraction of the brazen abuse that is reflected in this bill. It has generally been at the state legislative level uh, where Republicans have been very good about, I will say, consolidating power. Um, I mean, Cruz saying that they, they, they never tried to rig the election uh, or rig elections or set it up such that, uh, that Republicans were guaranteed to win. Uh, here in Texas, we wrote the playbook for this. You know, in 2003, uh, when the Democrats fled to Oklahoma, what were they doing? They were, they were executing what's called a quorum break to try to slow down, kill, uh, at least delay a mid-decade redistricting, which hadn't happened previously. You know, what, what our Constitution says in Texas is harmonized, I guess, with what the federal Constitution says about the census and then how apportionment will be done. So at the national level, the census is done every 10 years, and then the Texas Constitution says that in the next regular session of the legislature, the redistricting will be done based on those census numbers, right? So in 2003, that would not be one of those years. Yeah. That would be 2001, right? The, the, the census is done in the number in the years that end with zero. And then the next legislative session is in the is in the year that ends with one, right? So you get 2000, and and, and you know you, you go to uh, you go through 2010, 2020, 2023 would be the first regular session since the census was done this time around because the census was slowed down. But that wasn't the case in in 2003. Back then they they had done this redistricting yep. in 2001 and they redid it in 2003. They just did it again because you know why? Because in 2002, the Republicans won the Texas House of Representatives. Exactly. Right? Exactly. That's the key. Why would they do it again? That's why. And at the time, I remember the Democrats saying and interviewing some of them talking about how, oh, wow, we just did the redistricting in 2001. Why are we doing this again? Well, because the Republicans had seized control. And the Republicans, to their credit, some people will think this is criticism, to their credit, they'll go ahead and try anything. If there's not a specific rule that says they can't do it, then they'll try it. So that's what they did in 2003. All right, so with all of that in mind and all that is going on with the voting rights fight and what's going to play out this summer, it is, I think, really remarkable to think about what happened this week with President Biden signing a bipartisan piece of legislation that has been talked about for many, many years which is establishing Juneteenth as a federal holiday. Now, one of my Republican friends said, because there was, there was a smattering of criticism here, and of course there were Texas Republicans who voted no on this, although I'll give them credit, the, the vast majority of Republicans in the state voted for it. Yes. Right? But Chip Roy, for example, represents part of Austin, San Antonio, he had said that it was divisive because we now have two, this is paraphrased, two holidays during the summer um, and only one of them has to do with race. It, so that's divisive. Otherwise, he would probably vote for it. 
He said he, he, he even supports the concept of, of Juneteenth. He just didn't want to vote to make it a federal holiday. Um, it's already a holiday in Texas. <laughs> I know. So one of my <laughs> this Repu- was so strange, yeah. One of my Republican friends had said, we always want to make uh, the rest of the country more like Texas, right? Yep. So that's what they're doing with this. Um, you know who Opal Lee is from Fort Worth, Texas? Yes. Did you ever interview her? I did not, no. Man, I, um, I have not had that pleasure either. I, I, hope, I hope I get to visit with her at some point. Uh, she's 94 years old, and she has been pushing for Juneteenth as a federal holiday for decades. At one point, Opal Lee marched from her home, where she's a native of Fort Worth. She marched from her home 1,400 miles to Washington, D.C. to advocate for Juneteenth as a federal holiday. Why would she do all this? When she was a little girl, nine years old, her family moved to an all-white neighborhood here in Texas, and there was a mob that surrounded their home and threatened their lives, told them they were going to kill them, being a black family moving into a white neighborhood. I think they're in Fort Worth. And she remembered the incident. She said, my dad came with a gun and the police told him if he busted a cap, they would let the mob have us. Okay, so she's been pushing for civil rights and acknowledgement of what Juneteenth means to African-Americans for many years. What does Juneteenth mean? This is how hard, I mean, Juneteenth itself, think about it. Juneteenth is the embodiment of how hard it has been for African-Americans in this country to get equal rights. They didn't know, and when you tell people this, if, if they're unaware of it, they're shocked. It's not a day that the slaves were freed, right? Nope. It's the day that the African Americans in Galveston found out that they had been freed, which was more than two years after it yes. had happened. Exactly. Right? So if this guy signed a piece of paper far away on the East Coast that said the slaves are freed, well, maybe we just won't tell them for a while. Maybe we won't tell them ever, right? They yep. found out more than two years later that they had been freed, that they didn't put up with that anymore, right? There have been roadblocks at every step of the way on the march to equality. And this is something that was supported by John Cornyn, Ted Cruz. I give Senator Cruz credit. This was a, a unanimous consent in the United States Senate. Yep. They said, okay, knowing all that, about this woman, 94-year-old Opal Lee, I would like you to listen to the moment that President Biden signed the bill making Juneteenth a federal holiday. She was watching it happen in her home. I've got so many different feelings all gurgling up here. I don't know what to call them all. I'm so delighted to know that finally We've got a Juneteenth bill passed. Jeremy, I don't have anything else to say. Nope. That's the show. That's yep. it, right? Quality. All right. Quality. That's the best ending we could have. I, I hope you have a, and I'll say this. This is your first national Juneteenth holiday weekend. I hope you enjoy it. And if you enjoy the show, you should be a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, however you listen to your favorite podcast. We love to have you. Give us the best rating that you can and be nice to us in the review. If you write a review, we appreciate it. Subscribe at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com as well, and we will see you right here next week.